This is Bundiana, and you're listening to the Married with Children podcast. I just want to take a moment to pay tribute to somebody who would have celebrated her 100th birthday this week, Betty White. She was a personal heroine of mine and a comedy goddess. She was the first woman to wield control of her own sitcom. She used her wholesome good looks and her naughty sense of humour to great effect on the Mary Tyler Moore show. And then in the 80s, use of her brilliant comic timing in The Golden Girls, which is right up there with Married with Children in terms of classic TV sitcoms. Betty was a huge animal rights activist and also a huge supporter for equality. And for all these reasons and many more, we salute her. She lived 99 years and worked eight decades in the industry and still somehow it wasn't enough. So Betty, thank you for being a friend. We're going to be the biggest showbiz family since Betty and Barry White. That's why this scoreboard can only be named after one man. Ow! Four touchdowns in a single game, Bundy! Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a woman? No Man Presents, live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children Podcast. Welcome back to the Mary with Children podcast. Double O shoe to Gold Digger. Do you read me? I read you, Chris. Code names, you idiot. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Is Son of Frankenstein still down there? Oh, and, and uh, I'm Tyler, and I used to call you guys chickens, but in this light, y'all look more like stately peacocks. And we have someone new in the nudie bar. Introduce yourself, Carl. Kenetua, I'm Carl, also known as Mr. Wildcat on the YouTube channel, here for the Merry Children Podcast. Give me a K, give me a Y, give me an O, T, O. Yes, and what does that spell? I have no idea. It spells Kyoto, you home entertainment center. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice. (laughs) We're here to review uh, Dead Bowl 2. It first aired November 26, 1995, so we're just a, a, a few short uh, days away from celebrating its anniversary. It was written by Kim Weisskopf, directed by Jerry Cohen, and guest starring Terry Bradshaw and Jennifer Wade. Al Bundy's up for Poke High's Football Award. Who else went to Poke scored four times in one game besides you? But the winner is Terry freaking Bradshaw. Now Al's plotting his revenge. Double O shoot, gold digger. And it's going to be a blast. A brand new Married with Children, part of a full hour Sunday. By the way, this also aired on the uh, what also aired on the same night was the Al Bundy Sports Spectacular. It was like a clip show of Al Bundy doing sports. So, but we're not going to review that. We are going to review Dead Bowl Two. But before we get to that, uh, Carl, uh, we want to welcome you to the Nudie Bar and ask that uh, you tell us a little bit about your experience with Married with Children. Thank you, guys. I'm very happy to be here. Um, I've been a Married Children fan for about 20 years now, dating back to my freshman year of high school, 
back in the spring of 2002. I remember Married Children bent back during its original airing, but I was never allowed to watch it during its original run because my parents were about as uptight as Terry Ricola. <laughs> but basically, <laughs> so, so basically, um, around 2002, like I remember Married Children uh, being on the uh, television, so I flick in to see what the show was about since I had heard about it all, after all these years. And I basically, after a couple episodes, I basically enjoyed it so much, I kept tuning in day in and day out. Um, my first episodes of Married Children were back around season nine. Um, Dial Beaver Virgin, Shoeless Al, Bingo Wizard Gamo, The Undergraduate. These were amongst the first of the episodes that I was exposed to in Married Children. And I liked those episodes so much, I continued to watch the show. Um, pretty much nonstop over the past 20 years. And I've seen just about every episode at least 10 times. Some I've watched over 100. And um, I uh, came across the Married Children podcast about, um, le- it was about a year and a half ago, uh, during when the show was on hiatus between season seven and eight, um, I was looking for some Married Children clips online and I realized there were some episodes of Married Children that were done on a podcast. So I tuned in, my first episode I remember listening to was Peggy made a little lamb, and I like that. I, I love listening to the episodes so much that I came across um, other episodes, and I have basically been hooked on it ever since. And ever since the show started booting up again, it started with season eight. I've been listening to the Mary Chillin podcast just about every single week. Every single time a new episode would come out, I would be one of the first to tune in. Well, we certainly appreciate it. I mean, it's the fans that make us, and. Uh... We owe a lot to the fans. Thank you. Anyhow, let's uh, start looking at this wonderful episode of Season 10, an anomaly for Season 10. And we start out, I thought this was funny because when I was re-watching this, you know, uh, either on, I watched it on Hulu and I also watched it on my uh, disc collection. And I thought it was interesting. We start out with Lucky licking uh, Peggy while she's asleep on the couch. You usually don't see that in syndication in this day and age. Oh, Al. <laughs> you even brushed your teeth. <laughs> hey, you're not Al. Yeah, and you're no Mars bar. <laughs> and then Al walks in. A fat woman creatured her way into the shoe store today. Let me guess, Al. She sat down and then she couldn't get up. No, Peg. That would be you. Oh, honey, I can get up. But why would I? To give the cushions a breather? And he's all excited. He wants to tell her about a fat woman who came into the shoe store that day. Who creatured her way into the, into the shoe store. I like that's right. I like that verb. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when he finds out the great news. Anyway, this three times a lady <laughs> told me that the Kyoto National Bank was buying a new football scoreboard for Poke High. Oh, much better than a new library. That's exactly what I said. But the best part is, Peg, they're dedicating it to the most famous Pokai football legend. A hint, four touchdowns in one game. Yeah! 
<laughs> you? Well, it's not official yet, but who else went to poke, scored four times in one game besides you? <laughs> the Polk High School board, yeah. The, the field where he had his greatest moment in life when he scored four touchdowns in one game. Oh, boy. I don't know if you saw it or not, but I put this up in, on the, our Facebook page. And the, on Twitter, they're asking, the NFL is asking, what's your favorite touchdown? And I couldn't resist. I put it in the gif of Al Bundy, and I said, the only touchdowns I care about are the four this man scored in one game. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes, he is going to get the scoreboard. He, or he's hoping to get the scoreboard named after yep. him. That's why I love this episode, man. This is um, finally his chance to get his his greatest moment in life memorialized forever for everyone to see, you know. So. And rightly so, Definitely. too. Like that's that's something I was uh, I was a little shocked by. But like, there's no scheme, there's no underhandedness, there's no <clears throat> oh, excuse me, there's no reason he shouldn't get this. Like it, it's literally just the act of the chicken, Marcy, uh, to keep that away from him. Like. Yeah, it's absolutely, absolutely. It's like, uh, like you said. I mean, he really should have a. a he probably should have a, a football field named after him. He led them to their city championship, <laughs> going up against Spare Tire Dixon, as we all know. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a different game oh. though, because if you listen to it on All Night Security, dude, he tells the story to Bud. He says it was a scoreless game. Ah, okay. Against Spare Tire. Once I wore a different uniform, a prouder uniform. Once I roamed these halls like a king. Dad, please. Look at that trophy over there, son. <laughs> Polk High City Championship, 1966. I won that, baby. I still remember the day. Not the story. It was the last game of the year. Polk High versus Andrew Johnson High. Two great teams of equal strength. Dad, she's not wearing a bra. <laughs> Finally, we met on the field of battle. Came down to two great players. Yours truly, and a guy from Andrew Johnson High they called Spare Tire. Why, because he was fat? No, because he wore one with a chain around his neck. <laughs> Anyhow, finally it came down to the final seconds. Scoreless game. We had the ball on the six-yard line. They said, give the ball to Bundy. Everyone knew I was getting it. Who won? Hutu! I got the ball, and I went through that line like Grandma through a herd of cattle. I was going for a sure six, when all of a sudden, on the one-yard line, loomed a spare tire, waiting for me. We collided like two bull elephants. When it was over, they were shouting only one elephant's name. <laughs> Al Bundy. I scored, son. The winning touchdown. And son, that's the story of the greatest sport moment in all of history. <laughs> You know, Dad, some say your knee was down before you crossed that goal. My knee was not down! That's <laughs> a dirty, stinking lie! And that uh, he collided with spare tire and scored. and but uh, So I really think that's a different game. Of course, since when is Mary with children concerned with consistency? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah. 
The only consistency is their inconsistency. Right. But one of the things, you know, not to get ahead of ourselves, but one of the things I have in my notes here is that it shows Kelly uh, repeated her senior year in high school, what looked to be about three or four times. Because <laughs> when yeah. she pulls those yearbooks <laughs> out. <laughs> so <laughs> this this episode, it was this was a really fun experience for me because normally I watch this on my own TV and my roommate's usually next to me, but he usually has headphones on playing video games. This time he didn't have headphones on and he actually was listening. And I think it was the fir- it was the first time he ever made comments and he was on the floor laughing at how savage the family members were being to each other. And it made it, I was just like, oh, wow, they are being really savage. Like, at this beginning, before um, <laughs> before uh, the whole scoreboard thing even begins and before Terry Bradshaw even shows up, he was just like, oh, 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 man. Oh, that's so, oh, he did not. And I was like, you it sounds like ta- he was like quoting taglines that would be in the uh, newspapers back when this show was airing. So I just found that really fun. Marcy works at the Kyoto Bank and she hates you more than I do. Oh, hold on now, Peg. Well, Marcy and I have a lot in common. Wrong house. <laughs> well, we both live on the same side of the street. Both married deadbeats. <laughs> I eat chicken. She is one. Dad, she's had you arrested over 20 times. And you call her the little neighbor boy. <laughs> Pet name! <laughs> Listen, uh, bud, I want you to go over there and I want you to pick up that unsightly trash that's been accumulating on her yard. Dad, you threw it there. <laughs> you want to talk to me a little bit outside? Hmm? Fine. Uh, Peg says, look, you know, Marcy works at Kyoto National Bank. You hate her. And he talks about how He's always like Marcy. Right as Bud is walking in. And I love what Bud does. Hmm. I must be at the wrong house. Right, right. And I liked his uh, comment. She's a chicken. I like to eat chicken. (laughs) (laughs) That's the most he could rationalize, giving her a compliment. (laughs) Right. Yes. Oh, boy. Oh, they are savage uh, towards Marcy. Of course, they always are. And then he tells Bud, hey, go get that trash that I threw on her lawn and bag it up. Then Marcy herself comes over. Oh, that was that was the first. Uh, actually, when Bud shows up, that was the loudest my roommate laughed. Because actually the line was, there's trash all over her yard. Dad, you threw that there. <laughs> Just do it. Didn't I tell you to... That you are the most attractive, vibrant woman I have ever seen. Wrong house. <laughs> he thinks you're here about the scoreboard. Well, as a matter of fact, I am. I told you, Pink. <laughs> the nominating committee wants to dedicate the new Polk High football scoreboard to you, Al. Moi? <laughs> what a surprise. <laughs> well, before you brush off your good underwear... <laughs> There is still one obstacle that lies between you and the eternal happiness you seek. You heard it, Peg. Get out! (laughs) Not her, Al. Me. You know, Marcy, I used to call you a chicken, but in this light, 
You look more like the, the stately peacock. Save it. I told that committee that there had to be a better football player that came out of Polk. So they've given me 24 hours to find one. They could give you 24 lifetimes and a new set of tail feathers. You'd never be able to find a better one. Maybe so. But I will not rest until someone else's name is on that scoreboard. Dad, I finished cleaning up the Darcy's yard. Where do you want me to put this? Put it back where you found it. Before you throw it over the fence, light it on fire! <laughs> so the writing, I think, is really good. It, it's consistent all the way throughout. I almost didn't and, but, want them to leave. I really didn't want them... I didn't even... It's not that I didn't enjoy Bradshaw. I liked it. But they were on such fire. Al, everybody had such energy. I kind of wanted this interaction to keep going. Did anybody else kind of feel the same way a little bit? Yeah, it was great. It was A1. I love everything about this episode. That's why I'm glad I'm able to join you guys for it. Yeah, I'm glad you could too. I'm glad Carl's there. Uh, Carl, what what are your thoughts on, you know, the the insults and all that fun stuff that's going on in here? Oh, absolutely loved it. I wish it went on a lot longer than it did, but of course, you only have 22 minutes for an episode, so you got to find some limit to have it in there. And and what really killed me was Bud walking over with the trash. I got the trash, Dad. Throw it back over there. <laughs> <laughs> and light it on fire. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot Throw about it back that. over there light and light it on fire. Fire, 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 fire. Because <laughs> Al's had it. One chance of glory, and of course, Marcy is trying to take it away. And then that's when, that's when you see Al. He's on the phone asking for Scooter McPhee. Mr. Darcy, here are all the yearbooks from my senior years in high school. <laughs> uh, thanks, Kelly. So far, we've found only one football player in Polkai history who can even hold a candle to your father. He's trying to reach him now. Yeah, is Scooter McPhee there? <laughs> He's not. He's where? Leavenworth? That's great! <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's great. He's off the streets. Bye-bye. <laughs> Jefferson, he killed a whole mess of people. He won't be out for months. <laughs> that scoreboard is mine. Congratulations. Oh, Daddy, this is so great. It's kind of like it's kind of like a real father getting a promotion. <laughs> Only better, pumpkin, because I may not have a lot of money or a job I can stand, people I want to come home to. But now I'm going to have a scoreboard that proudly bears my name. Did he say, did, uh, t- check, correct me if I'm wrong, did he go, he killed a bunch of people and he'll be, he'll be in jail for a few months? <laughs> yeah. I think he literally said that, he's like, he killed, a, he said it with such glee, he killed a bunch of people and he won't be out for a few months. Yep, that's exact. That's, that's exactly what he said, yeah. That's making a mockery of the, <laughs> how bad our, our system is, you know. Some people commit horrible crimes and they're out in, you know, seemingly no time and others commit meaningless crimes and they're years behind bars. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is kind of strange. You know, and the thing is, he's in Leavenworth. I'm trying to think, you know, why is he in a federal prison? Uh, I, I always thought Leavenworth was like for uh, military service members that are uh, like 
Like if you get caught, you know, if you commit a war crime or if you're caught treason, like I always thought Leavenworth was for uh, military service members who get in trouble. But I guess that makes sense. You said it's a federal prison. I was just reading the notes here. The U.S. Penitentiary at Leavenworth is a medium security U.S. Penitentiary with an adjacent minimum security satellite camp in northeast Kansas, and it's operated by the Federal Bureau of Prisons. So, yeah, that makes sense. Only only thing I only thing I know about Leavenworth was uh, it fe- was featured on one of my favorite episodes of Rocky and Bullwinkle. <laughs> so <laughs> that's where it ends. <laughs> so Jeff was looking through all these yearbooks, and then Chris, you mentioned the uh, uh, Kelly coming in. Here are all my senior yearbooks. Yes, I laughed. <laughs> I laughed so hard. That's like a <laughs> it's kind of a joke that like kind of an underrated joke, but. I guess she took three or four years to make it through just her senior year. <laughs> I wonder how long it took for her junior and sophomore year. <laughs> I wonder how long, many times it took to get her through kindergarten. <laughs> I thought it was going to, I thought they were actually, they didn't go far enough. I thought it was because she was going to say like, Pumpkin, where's your senior uh, yearbook? Uh, I haven't gotten that one yet, Daddy. I thought that's, <laughs> I thought that's where they were going to go. <laughs> Probably took the longest in kindergarten. That's the hardest one. That's where you learn to spell like cat and stuff. And we know, we know she doesn't know how to spell that. <laughs> See, that's my legacy, Pumpkin. And when I'm gone... I hope it's soon. (laughs) You can look up and say that fine-looking scoreboard is dedicated to... Terry Bradshaw! Terry Terry Bradshaw? I I never had no nickname Terry Bradshaw. Not you, you chin strap. (laughs) I mean Super Bowl champion and Hall of Fame quarterback Terry Bradshaw. What are you talking about? Terry Bradshaw never went to poke high. He did for two months in 1965. Just long enough to join the chess club and play Glinda in The Wizard of Oz. (laughs) That is Bradshaw, right between that munchkin and Dorothy. Look at that right there. So Al realizes, hey, this is going to be named after me. Scooter McPhee's there. And Jefferson says no one can lie to candle to your father and that's when marcy comes in and says it's going to be named after terry bradshaw carl how would you like to tell us about terry bradshaw absolutely i have the facts right here in front of me so terry bradshaw was born on september 2nd 1948 in shriverport louisiana he played high school football for woodlawn high school in shriverport played college football at louisiana tech and he was the number one overall draft pick in the 1970 NFL draft. He was drafted to the Pittsburgh Steelers, which he played for from 1970 to 1983. During his career, he uh, won four Super Bowls, Super Bowl nine against the Minnesota Vikings, Super Bowl 10 and 13 against the Dallas Cowboys and Super Bowl Boom. against the <laughs> Los Angeles Rams. Terry Bradshaw was also a two-time Super Bowl MVP in Super Bowls 13 and 14. He was the 1978 NFL Most Valuable Player. He was also a first-team All-Pro for 1978. He also played in three Pro Bowls, 1975, 78, and 79. He was an NFL passing touchdowns leader for two seasons, 1978 and 1982. He is also a member of the NFL 1970s All-Decade Team, the Pittsburgh Steelers Hall of Honor, the Pittsburgh Steelers all-time team. He is a recipient of the 1978 Bird Bell Award, Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year for 1979, and he is also a member of the Louisiana Tech Athletic Hall of Fame. But 
did he ever score four touchdowns in a single game? So he needs to get out of this episode. Screw Bradshaw. Bundy. Bundy. Highly doubt it. I I find it interesting, too. Ed O'Neill was a football player in college, and he was drafted by the Steelers. I find that interesting. He flunked the physical from what I remember. I think that was it. And so he couldn't uh, play with them. He did a little bit of preseason work, but after that, he just retired and hang it up. I might be wrong. I don't know. But I believe that was what happened. Marcy points out that, or first out points out, no, Terry Bradshaw didn't go to Polk High. And Marcy points out he did for two months in 1965, just long enough to join the chess club and play Glinda in The Wizard of Oz. If they had gotten Bradshaw to dress up as Glinda, uh, this would be the best episode ever. (laughs) Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Are you a good witch or a bad witch? One of the things that's great about Terry Bradshaw and I'm, I'm sure we all know, in addition to being a, a great Hall of Fame player, he's also a great commentator. He's funny. Oh, yeah. He's he's goofy. Oh, yeah. He's corny. He'll he'll go with any joke. He'll go with any. You know what I mean? He's just he's he's. I love him as. I mean, you know, I never really saw him as a player. I was too young at the time, or at, actually, I wasn't even born for most of his career. But I love him as a commentator. <laughs> he's one of the best. That, he's one of the best they have. They've ever had. I think. Yeah, uh, another Dallas Cowboy great, Dandy Don Meredith, <clears throat> one of the first announcers for Monday Night Football, one of the best. He did it for years, and Terry Bradshaw once told the story how when he was going into announcing, he was a little worried and nervous about it, and he uh, actually called Don Meredith and asked him, what do I do? And Don Meredith says, just be yourself. You don't have to try and imitate me or Howard Cosell, thank God. You know, just be yourself. And Terry Bradshaw ran with that advice from Dandy Don Mary. Yep. And he's done a hell of a job doing it, too. (laughs) Yeah, he's been doing it for decades. So now this honor is being taken away from Al. Not by Terry Bradshaw. we got to put the blame where it belongs. It's with Marcy. She's the complete antagonist of everything. She puts a... Yeah, she's uh, trying to ruin Al's life like she always is doing. Right. Kelly's upset. Daddy, this is an outrage. This is just like the time that Odie stole Garfield's lasagna. (laughs) Now, he earned that lasagna, and you earned that scoreboard. Do you know what? All he had for dinner was cold cat food. (laughs) I don't want that to happen to you, Daddy. So I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to get that scoreboard back for you, and nothing is going to stand in my way. We're trapped. Watch this, Jefferson. Push, sweetheart. Thank you, Daddy. And this is something I love about this episode, how Kelly just goes out to try and help her daddy. Yeah, that's that's one of the things. Isn't that a little weird? Well, I was going to say that's one of the things that I like about the Bundys is, you know, they they take shots at each other. They're ruthless towards each other. They insult each other all day long. But when 
a non-member of the family hurts someone, they usually back each other up, if you think about it, you know? That's one uh -huh. of the great things about this, you know? It's like, yeah, well, well they, they insult each other and take shots at each other and such all day long, but there's uh, Kelly standing up for her daddy in the best way she can in this episode. Yeah, and I love it. Daddy, this is an outrage. It's just like the time that Odie stole Garfield's lasagna. <laughs> do you guys think there was a... <laughs> like, that's so great. Um, do you guys think there was a different draft of this episode where... Because you would think the obvious would be, if you got Terry Bradshaw in here, that you would find a way to get Al wanting to go and do what Kelly does to try to like get Terry to you know, be cool about it, and, like, Al maybe starstruck or something. I just feel like you got a football player, Al would be the one to be in doing the interaction. Instead, he's sitting on the couch for a lot of this episode. Well, I think I don't think so, because it's a way to involve Kelly in this a lot more, because Bud is really, well, I guess Bud has an active, he's an active agent in this one. But uh, you know, if they didn't have Kelly doing that, she would have been doing pretty much nothing. And I also think there's another reason why I'm going to come to that in a few minutes later when we get to it. Kelly, that's when she walks out the door and she's pushing it. Oh, boy. And I love it. Al says, watch this, Jefferson. Honey, why don't you pull the door? <laughs> or no, why don't you push the door? And then she pulls it. So she has it backwards, <laughs> walks right out. And, of course, she thinks she's smart. She thinks she did it well. That's th that's always the best thing about her jokes is she thinks she's smart, you know? <laughs> yeah, my roommate did a double take when she pulled it. <laughs> He's like, wait, didn't he say push it? It's like, yeah. He goes, oh, wow, that's a real bad joke about her being an idiot. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good one. <laughs> Hey, you guys want to know something I had in my notes here about Kyoto, uh, you know, for Kyoto National Bank? Yeah. Uh, well, just the notes that here that we have for us is uh, Kyoto is considered the cultural capital of Japan and is a major tourist destination. It's a home to numerous Buddhist temples, Shinto shrines, palaces, and gardens, many of which are listed collectively by the UNESCO World Heritage Site. Now, do you know what else? Um is also headquartered there that uh, I know probably most of us uh, know and love. Anybody know? What? The world headquarters of Nintendo is in Kyoto. Mm-hmm. That seems almost sacrilegious. Like I, I always thought of Kyoto as like the epicenter of their culture. Shra Shinto shrines, um, ancient artwork, yeah. Nintendo. It's, it's there, you know. I I have not made it to Kyoto. I've not made it to Kyoto yet, but I've been to Tokyo, Narita, and Osaka there. And uh, one of the cool things for for any uh, Nintendo fans listening, if you're a fan of Mario Kart, when you're in um, Tokyo, they actually have some go karts that you can rent that are Mario Kart themed. <laughs> I kid you not. Uh, you know, there's a Mario yeah. one, a Luigi one, a Princess Peach. Uh, you know. Bowser, Link, so on and so forth. Yeah, tell Luigi about the Luigi one. I bet he'll write that. One. Yeah. <laughs> do they have like? Do they have like Mario in a cage and you can like throw things at him? Like, 
Donkey Kong over there in a cage too. You can give him bananas. I would love that. I didn't see that. They might have that in Kyoto. I, I suspect Nintendo's a bigger <laughs> thing in Kyoto since it's headquartered there. But they're in Tokyo. It was pretty cool. I mean, they had quite a bit. It's just, quite it's a bit just of... some Italian with a mustache in a yeah. cage. I mean, they it's had like, quite a bit. I'm of... not Mario. Yeah, they had quite a bit of Nintendo stuff there too. But uh, the, those Mario Karts was pretty cool in Tokyo. I like that. Anyway, then we go next to uh, Marcy directing the commercial. Quiet on the set. <laughs> and action. Konnichiwa. I'm Terry Bradshaw for Kyoto National Bank. Give me a K, give me a Y, give me a O-T-O. Yes, and what does it spell? I have no idea. <laughs> It spells Kyoto, you home entertainment center. I'm sorry, Terry. I'll get another girl down here who can spell. <laughs> you do. I'm walking. We're on a five. Okay, Terry, I'll get makeup in here to give you a touch-up. You'll have to excuse me for a few minutes. I've got a lot to do before tomorrow's dedication. And unlike you, I don't have anyone on the sidelines calling in the place. Hey, whoa, whoa. I called my own place. That was Starback. I beat him in the Super Bowl twice! Uh, And in the notes in here, it talks about Marcy as a director as a meta joke. Because you know she's directed a lot of these episodes. And then we get to this cheerleader. Where'd they find her? (laughs) I don't know. She's only, her name is Jennifer Wade. She only has like four acting credits and that's it. Wow. I love your opening line because, like, what does that spell? I don't know. <laughs> On top of that, it's Kelly thinks it spells Coyote Bank. <laughs> <laughs> there was a line in there that I, that infuriated me. And that's when Marcy says to Terry Bradshaw, okay, uh, Terry, you're used to taking uh, plays, taking the plays in from the sidelines. And he says, oh, no, I call my own plays. That was Staubach. I beat him in the Super Bowl twice. Yes, he did beat Staubach in the Super Bowl twice. But uh, here's the thing. Let's talk about Ter- uh, Roger Staubach, one of my favorite quarterbacks of all time. And don't get me wrong, Terry is one of the greatest as well. But uh, Roger, let's talk about it. I'm actually writing a biography about him right now. He was born February 5th, 1942, nicknamed Roger the Dodger because he was great in scrambling. He was also called Captain America and Captain Comeback. He and Drew Pearson, uh, one of his best receivers, they got that formula down of, you know, throw to the sidelines and run out of bounds to stop the clock. He was an American football quarterback who played his entire 10-year career with the Dallas Cowboys on the National Football League. He attended the U.S. Naval Academy where he won the 1963 Heisman Trophy. And after graduation, he served in the U.S. Navy, Navy including a tour of duty in Vietnam. Staubach joined Cal- Dallas in 1969. He played with the club during all 11 seasons of his career. He led the team to the Super Bowl five times, four as a starting quarterback. And he led to the, them to victories in Super Bowls six and Super Bowl twelve. By the way, Super Bowl twelve was played against the Denver Broncos. And there was a quarterback there. His name was Craig Morton. And he and Staubach both played for the Cowboys for a while. 
Uh, Tom Landry tried this dumb thing of having two starting quarterbacks and alternating them. That was one of Landry's dumbest decisions ever. And he admits that. And after Roger was determined to be the starter, uh, Craig Morton went to the Broncos. He is one of the first of four players to win both the Heisman Trophy and the Super Bowl MVP, along with Sips Jim Plunkett, along with Jim Plunkett, Marcus Allen, and Desmond Howard. He was named to the Pro Bowl six times in his 11-year career. He is currently the executive chairman of the Jones-Lang LaSalle. Now, here's the thing. While Staubach didn't call his own plays, he lobbied for it. He could have done it, but Coach Landry would not allow it, often getting upset at Staubach when Staubach did change the plays at the line of scrimmage. It infuriated Tom Landry. It also infuriated him when Roger decided to run if all of his receivers were covered. So you're talking about a really intelligent guy. Uh, a little bit of trivia for you, too. I wanted to get to this in regards to Kelly because she interacts with Terry Bradshaw here in just a few minutes. Uh, there was another Dallas Cowboy of the 1970s. I remember his name was Thomas Hollywood Henderson. Boy, he had a big mouth, and Landry didn't like that. And finally, he got, finally Landry got rid of him. But uh, Hollywood Henderson, before Super Bowl thirteen, said of Terry Bradshaw, he could spill cat if you spotted him the C and the A. And what is the one word that Kelly always struggles in spelling? Thought a little connection there. And just to let you know what a great guy Staubach is and character and everything, Thomas Hollywood Henderson had a serious cocaine problem. That was another reason he got fired from the Cowboys. Several years later, Henderson decided to clean up his life and... Staubach let him stay at his place while he went through old Hollywood or Thomas you stay here you get yourself clean and sober and I'll put you up here until you get yourself on your own two feet I think that's a great guy you guys still yeah. there? Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely yeah we're listening okay yeah we're, we're listening and another and one of my favorite defensive backs with the Cowboys Charlie Waters his son died um and his son was only like 17 or 18 I'm not too sure how but uh Charlie was so distraught that Roger invited him to come and stay at his place for a few weeks to recuperate. So you're talking about a great guy. Brad Clayshaw? <laughs> Terry Brad Pitt? <laughs> hey, Mr. Football Star Guy? Hi. <laughs> I'm Kelly. I'm your makeup artist. Oh, well, what happened to Christy? Well, she's a little tied up right now. <laughs> I love what Kelly calls him. She can't get his uh, name right. Yeah. <laughs> Brad Clayshaw? Terry Brad Pitt? <laughs> Terry Brad Pitt was Brad the one Clayshaw, I was Brad Clayshaw, Terry Brad Pitt. Hello, Mr. Fo fo football star guy. <laughs> Look, Mr. Shawshank. <laughs> So we have a reference to Brad Pitt. Oh, God. Carl, tell us about Brad Pitt. All right. So Brad Pitt was born December 18th, 1963. He is an American actor and film producer. He has received multiple awards, including two Golden Globe Awards and an Academy Award for his acting, in addition to another Academy Award and a Primetime Emmy Award as producer under his production company, Plan B Entertainment. Pitt first gained recognition as a cowboy hitchhiker in the 1991 film Thelma and Louise. His first leading roles in big-budget productions came with the drama films A River Runs Through It from 1992 and the 1994 film Legends of the Fall. 
and the horror film interview with the vampire in 1994 as well. He gave critically acclaimed performances in the crime thriller Seven from 1995 and the Seven, uh, the science fiction film Twelve Monkeys, the later earning him a Golden Globe Award for Best Supporting Actor and Academy Award uh, nomination. Yeah. My favorite Brad Pitt movie is Moneyball, when he plays Billy Bean, who is an actual GM for the Oakland Athletics. I know you don't like him, Chris. I can understand why. Oh, that's all right. And it's Moneyball. It's based on uh, Billy Bean's book about how he uh, changed the way of looking at baseball and recruiting in regards to numbers. And Jonah Hill co-stars in it. It's a really good movie. That's my favorite one with him. I'm surprised uh, when you were in the we were reading out to his first leading roles, no one mentioned Cool World. Yeah, he also played um, Carol's. No, uh, was it her, that her name? Yeah, Carol's boyfriend in an old episode of uh, Growing Pains. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. yeah, and he is also a cameo. Well, cam I call him a cameo. He doesn't really do much in one of my favorite Tarantino movies. True romance. He's the stoner on the couch. I think he's only yeah. like twenty four or something in that movie. It's it's awesome. And then Kelly also calls him Mr. Shawshank. Uh Tyler, why don't you tell us about the Shawshank Redemption? Oh, can I ever? I <clears throat> I love the Shawshank Redemption. It's a great movie. Mm -hmm. I haven't read the book yet, but Okay, so Shawshank Redemption is a 1994 American drama film written and directed by Frank Darabont, based on the 1982 Stephen King novella Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. It tells the story of banker Andy Dufresne, played by Tim Robbins, who is sentenced to life in Shawshank State Penitentiary for the murders of his wife and her lover, despite his claims of innocence. Over the following two decades, he befriends a fellow prisoner, contraband smuggler Ellis Red Redding, uh, played by Morgan Freeman, and becomes instrumental in a money laundering operation led by the prison warden Samuel Norton, played by Bob Gunton. William Sadler, Clancy Brown, Gil Bellows, and James Whitmore appear in supporting roles. That's one of the best movies yeah. ever made. I love that movie. It's like, I would it's agree. One, it's a short list of movies that. If I'm flipping through the channels and see it on, I'll stop and watch. Whether it's 10 minutes from the beginning or 10 minutes from the end, I'll still stop. It's such a good movie. I remember the exact moment I watched it. Uh, it was given to me as a DVD. I was 16, and I had never watched it. It still had the plastic wrap on. I could not go to sleep for the life of me. It was like midnight, and I'm like, you know what? I've watched everything I own. I haven't watched this. Let's just see whatever it goes. And I just get mystified. And I remember when, oh, man, when Clancy Brown's character shoots that kid that says he was going to, like, testify that Andy was innocent. Mm-hmm. And I oh, like I guess should I've seen it recent I've seen it like of course more after this and it's so telegraphed that that's what's gonna happen but I just remember going oh, no oh ooh, I'm mad if you know what f this movie I hate this this is so bad I'm not gonna watch another minute of course I watched the rest but it was just it that messed me up right there oh that was heartbreaking yep and. Mm. His escape was even more grueling, uh, you know, and uh, Red was retelling it and talking about him crawling through the sewer line. 
I thought to myself, oh god. We, we probably should have put a we probably should have put a spoiler tag on this. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. sure there's someone that's going to listen to this podcast and's been like, "Hey, I was planning on watching that this movie this Friday night for the first time. <laughs> you just ruined my Friday night." <laughs> you know he and you know what? And I would say this, this movie doesn't need a spoiler alert because it's it there is no spoiler. Obviously, it's, he's going to escape or die in prison. That's how prison movies work. Or it's all about the character development. It's all about everything. We could go through and list out every single scene, and it wouldn't do it justice. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Plus, I mean, heck, the movie is what twenty five, twenty six years old. Well, it came out in what year did it come out here? Ninety four. Well, yeah, so twenty seven years old. So, <laughs> on top of that, it. It flopped at the box office. It didn't do that well at all. It was movie rentals that uh, really got it to cult, st- or I wouldn't call it cult status because that movie is just so well done and well made. Frank Darabont is a genius in it. And when I remember the line, when I was thirteen, I saw an automobile, and I was so impressed. Now they're everywhere. I won't spoil that particular character's, uh, ooh, that's the hardest problem. Carl, please tell us you've seen Shawshank Redemption. Absolutely. When I first when I first saw it, I wasn't a big fan of it, but I have caught on to it. Uh, so every time I watch it, I tend to grow, grow a little more attached to it. So I, I, it's become a favorite of mine. You know, another thing I really liked in there were the two villains, especially uh, the warden. I forget who played him. Was that Bob Gunton, I think? But, uh, yeah, Bob Gunton played him, and he's just a great character actor. And Clancy Brown steals the scene in every movie. Unfortunately, he's always the bad guy. He's a very versatile actor. I've seen him do a few more serious, uh, you know, roles where he's not the bad guy. But uh, he just plays the bad guy. There's a, there's a line in Shaw... This is my last thing I want to say about Shawshank. But for some reason, this line always just resonated with me. I think about it... Mm, at least several times a year. How often do you ever really look at a man's shoes? I don't know why, yes. but that's just, it gives me goosebumps the way he said it. Ugh. That's He's right. Anyhow, after the reference to Shawshank Redemption, she pleased with Terry Bradshaw. Wow, what happened to your arm? I broke my wrist. No, 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 the other one, it's so much smaller and frecklier. <laughs> So, you must be really honored having this entire field named after you, huh? Well, I am, but I mean, I'm not sure I deserve it. I mean, I only went to Pokai for two months. And I mean, I never even put on a football uniform. Played naked? <laughs> Maybe you do deserve this. Actually, I didn't play at all. Huh. That's funny, because, see, my father, Al Bundy, he did play for Pokai. In fact, he scored four touchdowns in one game. It was the highlight of his life. Whoa. He got married. Had you. Four touchdowns. That's impressive. Yeah, well, apparently not to the bank of Coyote. <laughs> See, my father gave everything he had to poke high. And if you look at him now, you'll know that that's all he had. <laughs> look, Mr. Shawshank... You're a big football star. I mean, you know what it's like to, to win the big one. My father never even won the little one. So 
Will you please just let him have this one stupid honor? Stop, please. He can have it. You mean it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, don't worry. I'll take care of it. Tomorrow at the dedication, your daddy's gonna know what it's like to win the big one. <laughs> and I love the way she puts it. Says, Mr. It was, you know, he, my father played here at Polk High. He scored four touchdowns in one game. That was the biggest thrill of his life. Terry Bradshaw says, well, he had you. Kelly says, four touchdowns in one game. Mr. Bradshaw <laughs> goes on about how that was the his defining moment in life. And Terry Bradshaw, yes, he's crying. Okay, you got me. You'll be na- I'll take care of it and everything. Oh boy. So Terry seems to be a nice guy. You know, I have wondered, I, I should have asked Annabelle before. Maybe she knows, I don't know, why Terry Bradshaw's arm is in a cast. Yeah, what's up with that? I was wondering that too. Uh, I was going to ask you I mean, guys, like you guys are football players, was this like during some uh, injury that he suffered that I didn't know about? Maybe. Yeah, I was thinking just the, he had an injury in real life for some reason, and they just said, hey, well, we got to tape this episode. Let's go with it. <laughs> and we'll write a joke into the episode to, you know, address the elephant in the room. <laughs> Do they? Do they write a joke into it? I don't remember. She said, what happened here? Yeah, yeah what, what's wrong with your arm? And he says, oh, I broke my wrist, and they had to put on a cast. No, I mean the other one. It's all... It's oh, all okay. Oh, arm. yeah. That's what... <laughs> she thinks that's his normal arm, and the other one's the weird one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, then we go back to the Bundy household. Terry freaking Bradshaw. <laughs> How come the quarterbacks get all the glory? He never scored four touchdowns in one game. Dad. You just need to watch some TV and take your mind off Terry Bradshaw. Oh, maybe you're right. I'll take Terry Bradshaw for a thousand, Alex. <laughs> Tonight on Family Matters, Urkel finds his long-lost father, Terry Bradshaw. Tonight on PBS, the three tenors and Terry Bradshaw. <laughs> Al is watching television with Bud, yeah. And Bud says, Dad, get your mind off Terry Bradshaw. Let's watch TV. And I love it. I'll take Terry Bradshaw for a thousand, Alex. He switches the channel. Tonight on Family Matters, Urkel finds his long-lost father, Terry Bradshaw. (laughs) (laughs) We've talked about Family Matters before, so we'll move on. Tonight on PBS, the three tenors and Terry Bradshaw. And the thing is, Terry Bradshaw has done some singing as well as acting. I mean, pretty broad. Uh, talent there he's such a ham but he plays stuff so well the three tenors were a popular operatic singing group during the 1990s and early 2000s consisting of spaniards i'm sure i'm gonna butcher some of this but i'll give it my best shot spaniards placido domingo and jose carreras and italian luciano pavarotti I bet Luigi could pronounce that one perfectly. <laughs> the trio yeah. began the trio began their collaboration with a performance at the Ancient Baths and Caracalla in Rome, Italy, on the seventh of July, nineteen ninety, the eve of the nineteen ninety FIFA World Cup final. The image of the three tenors tenors is is in formal evening dress, singing in a World Cup concert, captivated the global audience. 
The recording of this debut concert became the best-selling classical album of all time and led to additional performances and live albums. They performed to a global television audience at three future or three further World Cup finals in 1994 in LA, 1998 in Paris, and 2002 in Yokohama. They also toured other cities around the world, usually performing in stadiums or similar large arenas to huge audiences. They last performed together at an arena in Columbus, Ohio on the 28th of September in 2003. So that's a hell of a resume for the three tenors. Oh man, you wouldn't believe the traffic out there. Between the ticker tape parades, the autograph hounds, and the gorgeous babe swooning for him, you'd think the Pope was in town. <laughs> Let me guess, Terry Bradshaw. You got it, look, he slimed my sleeve. <laughs> Well, I guess Bradshaw does need some happiness. He only had all those years with the Steelers, the endorsements, the broadcasting career. That yeah, and don't forget those Cannonball Run movies he made with Mel Tillis. Oh, then? those were good. Yeah. Yeah. Jefferson, the man won more Super Bowls than I've had good days. <laughs> now Marcy and her Hideo Nomo loving cronies down at the bank. <laughs> they want to give him what's rightfully mine. Well, I can take no more. When a Bundy doesn't get what is rightfully his, he makes sure no one else gets it either. I know now what we must do. I like Al, his comment. Uh, they talked about his four Super Bowl rings, and uh, Al says, he's had more Super Bowl rings than I've had good days. <laughs> <laughs> they mentioned something else. They mentioned, oh, what about those Cannonball movies with Mel Tillis? <laughs> Cannonball Run movies. <laughs> I want to mention this real quick because Terry Bradshaw does have quite a filmography. He has 23 acting credits. He does a lot. He's worked a lot with Burt Reynolds. In fact, his first movie was with uh, Burt Reynolds in Hooper. Great movie about stuntmen because uh, that's how Burt Reynolds got started. Uh, the director, Hal Needham, was also a uh, stuntman. That's how he got started. He also, but those two, uh, but Bradshaw and Reynolds worked with Hooper, and then again on the first Cannonball Run. He was there, he was only Terry Bradshaw was only on the first one. He was also had a single role in Hardcastle McCormick, a couple of episodes of Evening Shade again with Burt Reynolds. He was also in a couple of the Sinbad shows. Uh, also in a very obscure um, TV show I do remember back in the nineties called The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. He was in an episode of Blossom. And actually, while he is in Dub Bowl 2, he will return in Season 11 on a Bundy Thanksgiving. He's also in an episode of Everybody Loves Raymond. He's a guest star in King of the Hill. He was twice on Malcolm in the Middle. He was on Eight Simple Rules. He was also was in The Simpsons in Treehouse of Horror uh, 16. He was also in the movie Failure to Launch. He was in uh, also Modern Family, again, with, working with Ed O'Neill. And he was also in two or one episode of Last Man Standing. That's a hell of a resume. So, I've, quite a filmography. I've watched a, a good yeah. number of those. Uh, Briscoe County Jr., Malcolm in the Middle, uh, Modern Family. Uh -huh. uh, you also mentioned Eight Simple Roles. That was with Katie Seagal, of course. And John Ritter, until yeah. until he passed away. John Ritter, you know. That was sad. yeah, sure was. That was. 
Mm-hmm. I remember when that happened. I was I was in my second year teaching, and uh, also one of my favorite shows at the time was Scrubs. He played uh, John Ritter played JD's father. Yeah. In Scrubs. Oh and, yeah. Yeah, they they wrote that into the script about how Dad died. Yeah. In Scrubs. So yeah. respectful. John Ritter was a uh, is a one of the greats of physical comedy. <laughs> Three's Company, anyone out there that's listening, if you're looking for a, an old show to, to binge that you've never seen, pop in Three's Company, man. You won't be disappointed. John Ritter is a is a master. Yep. Am I, am I mistaken? Was John Ritter also one of the adults in the original 1990s uh, It? Yes, he was. Okay. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. He was, the, he was the fat boy who... Uh, <laughs> Can't grew up to be bearded, uh, <laughs> bearded architect Ben. Yeah, you mentioned the Cannonball Run, uh, Carl. Why don't you tell us about the Cannonball Run a little bit? Sure. The Cannonball Run is a 1981 American comedy film starring Burt Reynolds, Roger Moore, Dom DeLuise, Farrah Fawcett, and an all-star supporting cast. Filmed in Panavision, it was directed by Hal Needham. Produced by Hong Kong's Golden Harvest Films and distributed by 20th Century Fox. The film is based on the 1979 running of an actual cross-country outlaw road race beginning in Connecticut and ending in California. A few other people who happen to be in that uh, in that particular movie include Dean Martin, Sam wow. Jr., <laughs> and uh, one, Richard Keel, and partnering up with uh, him is Jackie Chan. Wow. A young Jackie Chan, yes. Kind of interesting. And there are there's another football player in the Cannonball Run, too. His name is Joe Pleco, played with the uh, New York Jets back in the 80s when the Jets were actually good. They mentioned that he started out with Mel Tillis, and I want to talk about Mel Tillis because I'm not a huge country fan, but he is one of the few I really enjoy. Mel Tillis, he was born August 8, 1932, and he died in November 19, 2017. He was an American country music singer and songwriter. He recorded songs since the late 50s. His biggest success, though, occurred in the 70s with a lot of top 10 hits. I Ain't Never, Good Woman Blues, Coca-Cola Cowboy, just some. On February 13, 2012, President Barack Obama awarded Tillis the National Medal of Honor for his contribution to the country music. He also won a Country Music Awards Association for the most coveted entertainer of the year. Additionally, he was known for a stutter, which did not affect his singing voice. Yes, he stuttered a lot. And his daughter is 1990s country hitmaker Pam Tillis. And Mel Tillis, he, um, he was one of the first people to capitalize on Branson, Missouri, becoming the new country music, hall, uh, country music city. Pretty cool. Yeah, he was. Um, I'm a huge country music fan myself. You know, he was a little bit, a little bit ahead before my time, but I, I, I know those songs. <laughs> Coca-Cola Cowboy, Good Woman Blues. By the way, Chris, I have to tell you, thanks so much for recommending. I remember on Facebook you talked about the Country Music uh-huh. uh, Hall of Fame in Nashville, and I visited that over yeah. the summer. I don't know if you saw my pictures from that, but that was uh, your. I did, but uh, they took out uh, the bandits Trans Am. <laughs> oh, did they? Yeah, yeah they had. You must, you must have went right after I went because I, I think they still had it when I was there. 
uh, they they rotate things. You know, they rotate different things in and out. But that's a shame they took it out. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Did they still have the Smokey and the Bandit section, and they just yes. took the car out? Or yes, okay. they did have the Smokey and the Bandit section because that was you know Burt Reynolds was a big country music fan. Yeah. But back to Married with Children. Now we go to the next day because we know that Al, Jefferson, and Bud are planning to blow up the scoreboard since it's not after, named after Al Bundy. They don't know that Kelly has fixed everything for him. where your father used to do all his scoring back in the prehistoric days when we were dating (laughs) when dinosaurs roamed the land and not my bedroom (laughs) daddy i'm so glad you decided to come i have a feeling you're gonna get a big surprise later oh i'm sure someone will (laughs) and it's the next day and I, I like it because uh, Terry Bradshaw, he sneezes, and so she feels the need to sneeze for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> like there's some covert operation going on, and if he sneezes, she has to sneeze too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's another covert operation going on. He was, bud. He said he was going to be here. Oh, he's around here someplace. Double O shoot to Gold Digger. Do you read me? Yeah, this is Gold Digger. What's up, Al? Code names, you idiot! Sorry, Double O shoe. That's better. Is son of Frankenstein down there with you? Wait a sec. Can I please have a better code name? Okay, you be Gold Digger. I'll be son of Frankenstein. Don't you mean Bride of Frankenstein? <laughs> Why, you little... Oh, and then Al <laughs> communicates with uh, Jefferson and uh, Bud Double O Shoe to well, was it Agent Orange? Is that right? Well, I think I think Agent Orange is supposed to be uh, supposed to be Peg because he says since Agent Orange has just breached my security. <laughs> I think that's supposed to be Peg. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And, uh, oh, Gold Digger. That was Jefferson. Yeah, Gold Digger. Double O Shoe, the Gold Digger. <laughs> gold Digger. And then, of course, uh, Son of Frankenstein is uh, uh, Bud. <laughs> <laughs> he wants a new code name. I don't blame him. I wouldn't want yeah, that either. I wouldn't want that. <laughs> Plus, that's too much to say over the radio, anyways. I mean, Son of Frankenstein. <laughs> Code name should be quick and easy to spit out. <laughs> Son right. of Frankenstein is too much. <laughs> and then he comments back to Jefferson, how about Bride of Frankenstein? <laughs> Yours can be Bride of Frankenstein. <laughs> focus, gentlemen, focus. No, when that symbol clashes, that's your time cue to blow the scoreboard. I also got a big kick out of Al... Uh, talking into his flower, but holding it like it's a microphone. Oh, can you be any more subtle, boy, man? Can you be any more subtle? And then Bud and Jefferson are neat. They're a good comedy, comic team, you know, just as good as Al and, uh, Al and Jefferson. I like it. They're taking popcorn from people up above and eating it and 
drinks. Is this the first time we've seen Jefferson and Bud together by themselves doing crap? I think so. I think so. I want to see more of this. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> yeah, they did well. <laughs> We're on a mission that involves precise timing and ruthless efficiency. Now, I have checked the program and determined the optimum moment to strike is when they play the fight song. Oh, you're not paying any attention to me. Oh, I'm sorry, Peg. You're looking quite adequate today. <laughs> oh, honey. I can't wait to get you home and... I always wanted to hear a woman say that. <laughs> it's not my own mother. Since Agent Orange just breached my security, <laughs> this is the last radio contact we'll have. We'll strike when they play the school fight song. Halfway through, there is a symbol crash. That is your cue. Do you read? Got it, double O. Yeah, we're locked and loaded. And oh God, Chris, that's that's my favorite line. When Bud says, I always want to hear that from a woman. Just not my mother. <laughs> Is this on? Is this on? <laughs> if you can hear me in the back, please raise your hand. I don't think that particular gesture is appropriate. <laughs> Al. <laughs> Darcy, and I'd like to welcome you all on behalf of Kyoto National Bank, where when you open a savings account, we give you a free kimono. Boo! Or a six-pack. Yeah! So without further ado, let's give a traditional Pokai welcome, a big round of applause for our honored guest, Mr. Terry Bradshaw. Marcy's at the microphone. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you all hear me in the back? That kind of symbol is not appropriate, Al. <laughs> uh. That may actually that may actually be the funniest line of the episode. There's a lot of funny lines in this episode, but that that line kills me every time. I don't think that particular gesture is appropriate, Al. <laughs> the way she delivers that, man. The pause is so long. Because you think you think for a second that it might be a random person in the crowd flipping her off, but it turns out it's Al. <laughs> it was the pause between like gesture and Al that made me like start laughing even before she said it. And then we go to Terry's uh, Terry Bradshaw's speech. Well, they're applauding. Either Terry Bradshaw started speaking or Mrs. Darcy stopped. Yeah. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. All we have to do is listen for that symbol crash. Popcorn. Don't mind if I do. Alright. First. So, people often ask me how I threw what was considered by many as the most famous pass of all time, the Immaculate Reception. And I tell them, 
It was very much like at my bachelor's party where I just closed my eyes and heaved. <laughs> now we do have to discuss this, and that's the immaculate reception that Terry Bradshaw just referred to. It's one of the most famous or infamous plays in the history of American football. It occurred in the AFC Divisional Playoff game of the National Football League between the Pittsburgh Steelers and Oakland Raiders at Three River Stadium in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This happened on December 23, 1972. With the Steelers trailing in the last 30 seconds of the game, Pittsburgh quarterback Terry Bradshaw attempted a pass to John Fuqua. The football either bounced off the helmet of Raider safety Jack Tatum or off the hands of Fuqua, and as it fell, the Steelers fullback, Franco Harris, scooped it up before it hit the ground and ran for a game-winning touchdown. Now, this play has been a source of unresolved controversy and speculation ever since. Many people have contended that the ball only touched Fuqua, or that it hit the ground before Harris caught it, either of which would have resulted in an incomplete pass by the rules of the NFL at that particular time. And the back judge uh, ruled it as a touchdown. The other officials didn't. There was some controversy because some officials were out of uh, out of position to see what actually happened. Now back then, you got to remember they didn't have instant replay review for officials. The Raiders have contended still to this day that the NFL officials did use instant replay because the announcers were using it, and there is always a couple of there are always a couple of officials up in the booth in any NFL game, even going back to that time. And that's why the Raiders call it the Immaculate Deception. The play is a pun derived from the Immaculate Conception, a dogma in the Roman Catholic and also the Protestant Church about the virgin birth. On top of that, this started a real bad blood between the Raiders and the Steelers throughout the 70s and 80s. <laughs> Yeah, you're taking this rather maturely. Well, Pig, I just figured it out that ultimately everyone gets what they deserve. Ah, well, I'm sure you'll get yours, Daddy. <laughs> you can say that again, Pumpkin. Well, I'm sure you'll get yours. <laughs> this award is truly a great honor. And that's why this scoreboard should be dedicated to someone that is as much a part of Polk High football as these bleachers or that... Goalposts are the low test scores. <laughs> what a blowhard. That's why this scoreboard can only be named after one man. Al! Four touchdowns in a single game, Bundy! <laughs> Sounds like they're chanting Bundy, Bundy. Hmm. Kelly probably just bent over to pick up a quarter. Hey, okay. There's the band. Remember, when we hear the symbol, we blow the scoreboard. 
this as much as part of Polk High football as these bleachers or that goalpost or the low test scores. <laughs> That's probably a very much true. This is all we got. It's all we got here. <laughs> that is true. Anyhow, that's when he finally unveils who the scoreboard, you know, because he was trying to say this scoreboard belongs to someone who was here, who's just who's part of the school. And, and by the way, just a little, this is one of my gripes on this one. Well, I wouldn't say a gripe, but it's just a big snafu, I think, on Marcy's part. Marcy is so determined to find someone other than Al. And even Terry Bradshaw himself admitted, I didn't even put on a football uniform. I was only here for two months. So, you know, that's really not good enough reason to name it after. But Marcy just wants to get it out, which shows how petty she really is. Right, right. It really does. Man, the, the, the look on Marcy's face there when she realizes, at least for the moment, it looks like Al has won. The look on her face when she walks off, <laughs> she's not happy, yeah. you know? Yeah, she's furious. Yep. Uh -huh. But it's revealed, and Al is now giddy. He's thrilled. He's happy, and he's exuberant and all this stuff. And then the band starts playing. Yep. And he suddenly remembers, oh, my God, when that cymbal crashes, they're going to blow up the scoreboard. Yep. Oh no! And he makes this spectacular run through everybody. And they clash the symbols on his head. That's what <laughs> killed me. <laughs> <laughs> and so Al, uh, Bud and uh, Jefferson blow up the scoreboard. Oh, can I just say big, can I just say big props on this dude? I just watched it. There's this dude in the line with a ponytail that Al just like face palms and shoves to the ground on his way to the symbols. Yeah, the stiff arm. Oh, yep. <laughs> oh, it was so good because he literally like, like grabs his face and just slams him down. I was like, you're right. I guess it's different if you have a football helmet on, but I was like, that that stunt guy. He did an epic fall. He, Hal didn't have to do that. He could have just went around him. Yep. By the way, did did anybody else notice the big continuity error when the the uh, scoreboard blow, blew up? Did y'all y'all know what I'm talking about? No. The, it, it shows the scoreboard being completely obliterated, and then in the very next uh, cut, only half of the scoreboard is blown up. Yeah, I noticed that like 20 years ago, like. They used two scoreboards for this scene. The, the first one was blown to complete smithereens, and the second one only has a... Oh, I just saw it. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, it's like... And that's not something I discovered on the internet. Like, I noticed that, like, 20 years ago. I was like, what? Like, literally, the first, like Carl said, the first one is just completely blown to smithereens, and then the second one, the middle portion of it is blown up. <laughs> 
Then we go back to uh, <laughs> Al at home. And in other news, hundreds of organizations are claiming credit for the bombing of the Al Bundy scoreboard. <laughs> including the National Organization of Women, the National Organization of Fat Women, and the government of France. He's all bandaged up again. Uh, you know, I want to do a tally and find out how many times Al has been, like, in a body cast, <laughs> you know, burned up and wrapped up. I mean, it's so much. It's like, how is this man still alive? Yeah, man, dude, he would have so many health problems. Like, he wouldn't even be able to walk. I mean, we've seen him be, you know, thrown off of roofs, thrown off of houses, blown up, beat up, body cast. I mean, hit, hit full body cast, beat in the head. I mean, he would have... He would have so many injuries, man. He wouldn't be able to even work. <laughs> this is the best, though. That headcast with the double eye, like the white eye gauze over him. He, <laughs> if I can find a way to get that on my face and still be able to see, I would go as Al Bundy looking like that for Halloween. Someone needs to mention. Everyone who's claimed responsibility for this terrorist act. That's That was an amazing uh, line. So we've got, in other news, new, hundreds of organizations are claiming credit for the bombing of the Al Bundy scoreboard, including the National Organization of Women, the National Organization of Fat Women, and the government of France. <laughs> Literally an entire oh. country is taking credit for blowing up a scoreboard <laughs> on American soil. I mean, they're, I mean, love them or hate them, they're one of our allies. And <laughs> they're taking credit for blowing up a scoreboard <laughs> on American so U.S. soil. <laughs> I mean, the French have been pushed around enough. I don't blame them. Take it where you can get it. Oh, yeah. It. <laughs> I as I always say, if we have any listeners that are listening from France, if you're a fan of Married with Children, I want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. Come on, frogs. Speak up. <laughs> it's okay. No one cares. I mean, we're telling you to talk to us, and you guys are great at backing down from confrontation, so yeah, you'll have to. You know, I don't think that's fair, because the free French liberated my grandfather from, from his POW status. He was a POW for a little while. The free French got him out. So you got to hand it to that. But, you know, I find it interesting about how, you know, they're always railing on France, even though the, you remember in Fair Exchange, the exchange student came from France. Oh, yeah. And uh, what is it? The, the goodbye girl when Kelly gets a job at that TV land, TV land type place. I find it was interesting. Al was going on his vacation and it included a, late, a stop at France. It was all in his mind, but <laughs> at least... He was going there. I thought that was hilarious, but that was a riot. Terry Bradshaw comes in. Come on in. Um, Daddy? Before Mr. Uh, Spam Shank left here, <laughs> he wanted to talk to you. Al, I just want to say that despite everything, I still respect you, man. I mean, you are without a doubt the greatest athlete in Polk High history. I mean, that incredible run that you had today just proved one thing to me, man, that you could have been a big star in the NFL. I'll tell you something else, Al. You're my MVP. 
love you guys. Now, I know that Daddy can't see, but that must have been the new highlight of his life. Well, probably not. He can't hear either. I'm watching this, the last scene right now where Terry's talking to him. With, I'm mute, of course, on my iPad. Mm-hmm. And I just, that's why I started laughing. Because Al just, the way he just turns his head, like he's just, he's this mute, uh, blind, uh, he's a three blind monkey right now. It's just, it's so. Terry's walking out, and what does he do with the door? He pushes no. instead of pulls. <laughs> <laughs> Was that a concussion joke? I think that was just a football players are dumb joke. (laughs) (laughs) No, ma'am. We'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show to subscribe to their YouTube channel. Just go to channels and search up Married with Children podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. We're back and I want to open up first to Carl. Carl, how many times are you going to blow up the scoreboard to uh, rate? this episode dud bowl two well this was a great episode um it, it featured terry bradshaw who was one of my uh, favorite all-time football players my father uh, he's a diehard steelers fan and bradshaw is one of his favorite players as well um it did but looking back in the background um, bradshaw grew up in louisiana and didn't uh, make much sense with him being in chicago but of course uh, they had to find a way to tie him into this episode so um I um like I like Bradshaw's appearance. Um, Marcy was a little. Um, she looked. Um, she acted a little differently um, f- from other episodes that I've noticed. Um, she also. I also um, my favorite scenes of the episode were um, when uh, when Bradshaw was doing the commercial and um, that cheerleader couldn't s- spell Kyoto, and I also liked the fact that. Um, Bradshaw spent um, a lot of time with Kelly, and he towards the end when he she, Terry Bradshaw tried to um, push the door instead of pull like Kelly did earlier in the episode. It goes to show you that um, dumbness can can be contagious with Kelly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> then I, um, so anyway, I'm. Um, there are a couple of things I would have done differently. Like one of the things I would have liked to see is I would have liked to, uh, once the scoreboard actually did blow up, I would have liked to see Marcy come back and see her gloat in front of the, <laughs> um, but other than that, um, I'll, um, I'm going to get, I'm going to blow up four and a half scoreboards out of five. That's how much I love this episode. Awesome. Chris. Yeah. How many scoreboards are you going to blow up with this episode? 
Well, I'm going to blow up a lot <laughs> because I absolutely love this episode. Uh, there, this is one that I've had circled on my calendar for a really, really long time. And I can tell you a lot of reasons why. This, this episode is a microcosm of Al Bundy's life. His, his greatest achievement ever, the, the, the highlight of his life was scoring those four touchdowns. And that's what's carried him forever. And this is, this is going to be his next great moment to finally get those four touchdowns memorialized forever. That way his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren, they'll be able to look up at that field and say, Al Bundy scored four touchdowns in one game. He he helped us win the score. He won the, the he won the the city championship for us. This 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 episode is just a microcosm of Al's life and what happens to Al about ninety nine percent of the time. He ends up losing, <laughs> and we see that in the end of this. Even when it looks like he's going to win, he ends up losing in the end. And in this one, he actually shoots himself in the foot because. In this case, all he had to do was do nothing, and he would have ended up winning and having a, the board, the scoreboard named after him because Kelly really stepped up big time to, to win this for him, but he shot himself in the foot. And even at the very end when Terry Bradshaw goes and talks to him and says, man, you really could have made it in, in the NFL. You proved it with that run, and man, you're my hero. You think, all right, at least Al is going to get this moment, this great moment at the end here with the a pro football hall of famer and a college football hall of famer complimenting him and saying, you could have made it in the big league, but we find out he couldn't hear either. <laughs> so, not, so not only could he not see, he could not hear. And in the end, he just could not win because that's Al Bundy's life. And you know, one other thing I'll add is Alex spoke about this a couple of seasons ago uh, when he was, when they were reviewing the gas station episode, he said, you know, if I wanted to tell someone who had never seen Married with Children before, uh, if I wanted to introduce them to the show and say, this is an example of why I like Married with Children, he, he said he would turn on the gas station episode and show them because you can watch that episode and not know anything about Married with Children and still love it because that is just such an amazing home run episode. Well, I feel the same way about this one. I could... I could take this episode and show it to someone who's never seen Married with Children before and say, hey, look, Al the highlight of Al Bundy's life is scoring four touchdowns in one game, and you're going to see it memorialized in this episode. And I could just tell them that and turn this episode on, and they could understand, just based on that limited amount of information, what an amazing show this is. And they could watch this episode and enjoy the show just as much as us. That's how great this episode is. And uh, just a little, a little, just a little information. You know, we we could nitpick things here and there, but man, I love this episode, and I'm gonna blow up five out of five scoreboards. So, mm -hmm. nice. So, Tyler, how many scoreboards are you gonna blow up for double two? Ooh, well, <clears throat> I'm going to have to be a contrarian Tyler today. Um, uh, first off, uh, Carl uh, uh, and Chris, you guys, uh, I love when people go before me because it sometimes changes my rating because it lets me see things through your eyes, depending on whether you guys hated it or loved it. Um, it did help me see what you just said, Chris, specifically, like comparing this to the gas station episode. 
in spirit, I agree with you. It's all in in spirit. This episode is great. It's got high energy. All the actors are giving it their all. They have a great guest star and a good premise. Like on paper, this all sounds great. It's the way it's constructed that I have some some problems with. Um, they're not they're not huge. I'm not mad. I'm not angry. I would never go like, eh, I don't want to watch this. I would totally turn it on. It's definitely you can turn your brain off and just go for it. But uh, some of the things that I just that just bugged me were, like I said earlier, um, Terry Bradshaw, you've got a guest star of this caliber. You should work the episode around that guest star. He kind of shows up a little late, and when he does show up, it's it it, it doesn't really come with a lot of fanfare. Uh, it, it doesn't... It should be like, Terry, Terry Bradshaw? Are you serious? I'm going to meet him? Like, Al should be wanting to meet this guy. Um, in my mind, like that's a, that's a, he's a big deal. <laughs> um, uh, Kelly being the one, uh, going on behalf of her dad. I love that more of a reason of why Kelly's there in the first place. I mean, I know they said something, but I, I don't know. It, it, it should have been more established. Marcy, she is my biggest negative for this episode because Carl, you said it right. Marcy, something's off with Marcy. Her energy is there, but she's kind of uncharacteristically mean. Like, we keep hearing about all these meetings she's going to. Wouldn't it be better to see one of those meetings? See her, like, dumbfounded face going, you gotta be kidding me. Like, I want to see her get angry. And it's just, there are small things that just don't seem to be, like, adding up. I, I really can't put my finger on what it was, but there was just there's just a disconnect between the three structures of this episode. The beginning, which was amazing. Fire, fire, fire with the family. And then there's the Terry Bradshaw stuff. It's good, but it feels like it's not really connected. And then all of a sudden Al's got all the agency and is working around this plan. Uh, we go into kind of a Looney Tunes town. Literally with a, a Looney Tunes pl uh, plunger explosion. So it, it kind of was like taking different formats from different types of episodes. But all in all, the way it ends, it, it really got me. I'm still staring at Al with his blacked out eyes, and it's just <laughs> it's such a funny image. I think I'm going to blow the <laughs> the scoreboards a full three, and much like the show did, and a half <laughs> times. Oh, boy. Well, I am going to blow up the scoreboard five times like Chris does. <laughs> I I agree. I think this is one of those episodes where you could have someone not familiar with Married with Children watch it and become a fan. They would understand, you know, Marcy being a bitch, Jefferson being a pansy, uh, the gold... Uh, what was it? Gold digger. Yeah. Uh, and all the characters, except maybe for Peg, had a lot to do with this. Al or Kelly going to Terry Bradshaw. And like what Chris said, I totally agree. You know, that's her dad's ultimate goal or ultimate uh, completion in his life, he feels. And that's what makes him Al Bundy. 
he's still reliving high school. And there are a lot of people who do that, sadly. They just go on about everything they accomplished in high school. You'd think that Kelly being born would be higher at the top, but anyway, that was uh, Al's shining moment. And I think this kind of goes back to the Michael Moyer interview. Remember Alex asking him about the difference in the latter seasons when it becomes like just pop, pop culture lampooning, like what Luigi called it recently. Yeah. And Moye says that it was those, we got away from those episodes that were more, I guess you could say, grounded in a way where everyone could uh, identify with. A lot of people could identify with Al. I'm a loser because ever since high school, my life has never been the same, as big as it is. You know, so I think that this is probably the last episode that really, really does that well to a certain extent. Yes, it gets silly, Moonyjins at the end. But people can't identify. I want to blow up this five scoreboards. In, in, but let France take the credit for it. <laughs> blame it on France. <laughs> oh, to blame it on France. You know what, Stephen? If I had gone last, that, that might have bumped me up to full four. <laughs> I did forget about that, the French stuff. <laughs> and, and that was it. Great payoff jokes. I like it in the payoff at the end when they get something like that you know the national organization of women the national organization of fat women in the country of france and that was just three of hundreds they said and and then al of course being the loser twice because he can't not only does he get it the scoreboard blown up then he can't hear terry bradshaw talking so that was so sad sort of equate that that would be like so my my idol growing up was a, a player named Hakeem Olajuwon he led the Rockets to back-to-back titles in the mid-90s I, I I would equate that to Hakeem telling me Chris I think you could have made it in the NBA you just with that move you just pulled there I think you could make it in the NBA that would make my life and I would be telling that story for the next 50 years to everyone that would listen <laughs> but Al didn't get to hear that. <laughs> he didn't get to hear it, man. That should have been his second win of the day. But instead, it was his second loss. <laughs> you know? That's it for this week's episode of Mary with Children. Tune in next week for episode 10, or pardon me, season 10, episode 11, Barely Men, with Luigi and Chris. Al and Bud go on a bear hunt in the woods to prove they're as manly as Peggy's father, Ephraim so he can take back Peggy's unseen mother. Al and Bud bring back what they think is a dead bear that they found in the woods, but they're in a big surprise when the bear wakes up from hibernation and wrecks havoc on them in the city. So, until next week, remember... Mm -hmm.